you, ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. Let's... Close your eyes and I'll kiss you tomorrow. I'll miss you. Hello again and welcome and happy 50th anniversary of the Ed Sullivan Show, Beatles. Welcome back to I've Got a Beatles podcast with Dave and Chris. We have kind of an interesting show lined up for today, at least we hope it's interesting. Uh, we're going to divert a little bit from our usual format and uh, catch you up if you have uh, not seen some of the latest things happening in the Beatle world uh, and also do a little bit of reviewing of a conference and a couple of TV specials that featured the Beatles and Beatles-related things. I know, Chris, you're pretty excited about the Grammy stuff. There's a lot of Grammy news. Yeah, a lot of uh, Beatle, Beatle Grammy action. <laughs> uh, a, a Grammy tribute to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. A, a the sighting of one of our favorite people to talk about, Jeff Lynn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> You know, we would have uh, we would have probably uh, recorded something last Sunday, but you were uh, very busy as you were in Pennsylvania. So the the big thing was, and and I haven't talked to you at all. <laughs> um, so I want to uh, hear about this um, conference. It was fifty years ago today. Yes, great. It was. Uh, I'll put it this way: well, this was an academic conference, so. It was a gathering of scholars and people who write about the Beatles and are uh, a little more than fans. I mean, everyone's a fan, of course, but we actually write and publish and talk about the Beatles in a scholarly way. And uh, usually when I go to scholarly conferences, I'm always looking at the clock, sort of ready to go home. Sort of, I, <laughs> I have a good time for a day or two, and then it's ready to head home. This was one of the first conferences I've actually been to where I didn't want to leave. And I think that's because uh, it was full of wonderful people who all shared the same love of the Beatles. And we're all kindred spirits in the same conference. Uh, It took place in, of all places, Altoona, Pennsylvania. You know, big, big Beatles site, (laughs) Altoona, Pennsylvania. Well, the the reason why it took place there... (laughs) Uh, it was because Isn't that where that plane landed? The Beatles got off. Wasn't that? That's Altoona? right. It was. Yeah, that's right. When they came to America, they stopped in Altoona first. Nobody knew that, but then they went to New York. <laughs> yep. uh, nobody was at Altoona. They were like, there. "Oh, nobody's here." Who oh. are these guys? Yeah. Wait, so, you were living in the wrong place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that it was Altoona, and the reason for being in Altoona was the head of the the organizer of the conference is a guy named Ken Womack who is a great Beatles scholar. He's written several books, edited some collections, and he's an English professor and dean at uh, Penn State Altoona. So the conference was held there. And just if you didn't know about it, we've been talking about it a few times on our podcast, uh, but if you just took a look, you would be pretty excited to see the guest list because not only do you have these scholars and people coming to talk about the Beatles, you actually have big-name uh 
Beatle writers and publishers and things. So, uh, the, of course, the big draw was Mark Lewison, and I'll tell you about that in a little bit. And then uh, Andy Babiuk, who wrote a book on the Beatles' gear, all of their instruments and things, he was there. Uh, Walt Everett, who's a big inspiration to me, and a music theorist who's written a couple of really important books on the Beatles. And Jude Sutherland Kessler, uh, who is a Lennon biographer and sort of narrative writer. And then also an interesting one, too, uh, Richard... Langham, who was a, a recording engineer for Please Please Me. Now, he described himself as he went and got coffee for people, or he made tea in the, yeah. in the studio. Uh, but he was there for the first two albums, I think. He was working next to George Martin and Norman Smith, the another engineer. And then he left, came back uh, in the late 60s. I think he came back around the White Album. So... Wow. He, yeah, he. It was very interesting to hear him. So, uh, the way the the conference worked, you'd have these sessions of people reading papers and giving talks, and then uh, you had the guest speakers who would be at meals. So, uh, you would hear you go to lunch and there's Mark Lewison, or go to dinner and there's Walt Everett or whoever, and it was just a great chance to meet up and interact with all these people. Now, before we get too into it, I want to ask you, now you were there yes. to to deliver a paper yourself. What was your paper about? What was the topic and, and how did it go and all that kind of thing? Yes, uh, my paper was called Harold Arlen, Hoagie Carmichael, Cole Porter, and dot, 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 George Harrison. A look at Harrison's cover songs and influences from popular American popular song. Uh, the the crux of it was basically I looked at four George Harrison recorded four so cover songs of American popular songs: uh, "True Love" on Thirty Three and a Third by Cole Porter, uh, mm -hmm. two songs by Hoagie Carmichael on Somewhere in England, and then uh, "Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea," which you might remember from being on Brainwashed. Yeah, yeah, and so I looked at. Those songs looked at what George did to them compared to the original, and then uh, looked at how maybe George's some of his songwriting style may have been influenced from American popular song because he, I think I've heard you mention this before. You said, "What's he doing recording these Hoagie Carmichael songs?" <laughs> uh, I I do recall that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is a and why it's a good question. It is a good question to be answered. Yep, <laughs> two on the same album, in fact, as well. And somewhere in England in 1981, you recorded both of them. So uh, it was interesting. I uh, had a pretty good reception and a bunch of questions afterwards. Uh, and it, it, what I did was also take these little musical techniques that Harrison uses, and I looked at. A song called Tears of the World, which was originally supposed to be on Somewhere in England, but now it's a bonus track on 33 and a third. So, but it was, it was, it sounds just like a Hoagy Carmichael cover. And he was really influenced by that style and that sound. So it was really fun. It was, I was also paired with a woman from University of Michigan who presented three papers on the conference. She was really quite uh, above and beyond. She talked about, uh, Harrison and Ravi Shankar in the Concert for Bangladesh, and very interesting paper 
Uh, so we were the only two George papers on the entire three-day session. So, oh, wow. Yeah, surprising. So, yeah, that was my talk. It was on uh, Friday morning and, and a lot of fun. I always enjoy those. Were you glad that you got to go early in the in the in the three days so that yes. you could just enjoy the rest of the conference and not have to be nervous about <laughs> yeah, that's, oh yeah. I got it I got to practice my whatever yeah, know, okay. no absolutely that uh, in other conferences I've been on Sunday morning the last session on the Sunday morning it's just a drag you can't really uh, you know enjoy the conference because you're just thinking about Sunday morning so yeah. this was nice to get it over with um, and then yeah then the rest of the time I just hung out at the conference and met uh, a lot of great people and uh, including one of our listeners who I had a great conversation with I, I'll, I'll say his name is Trent and he lives up in the Pittsburgh area uh, he's a, a doctor up there and uh, it was the coolest thing I have to say uh, I wonder if Trent's a Steelers fan like me probably <laughs> I, so I think he is I, I got that impression yeah <laughs> alright uh, <laughs> but it was great to connect with a, a real live I've got a Beatles podcast listener and he had some really great comments and uh, just really really nice guy and fun to talk to and we talked interestingly about some of the other podcasts uh, rivals if you will and uh, one of the things that he mentioned that he really liked was that we play a lot of music and other podcasts don't really play music they talk about the news or uh, don't you know? Just pick topics and talk, but don't actually play music. So you know. this this episode not this, Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> now that we got that note, we're, disclaimer. We're the whole just, yes, but uh, uh, I, you know it makes sense because you and I are both come from musical backgrounds, and uh, that's after all. The co- someone made this point at the conference several uh, in a paper. They said, "Yeah, there's all this other stuff about the Beatles, the mystique, the." you know, their impact on popular culture, all this stuff, but it wouldn't matter if the music wasn't good. And I think that's the point that I took, especially from this conference. After hearing people's talks, all I wanted to do was go back into my hotel room and just listen to these tunes that they were talking about that we've heard a million times, but, you know, brought up in a different way. Uh, You notice things you didn't notice before. So that's that's the cool thing about exchanging ideas with, with scholars. Yeah, that's basically the the gist of it. Another highlight, uh, well, two two things. One, the way it ended on Sunday night. Uh, a lot of people already left, but we got to watch the Ed Sullivan show. It was the 50 years ago exactly at the same time. And, oh. Uh, yeah, on the same wow. day in the auditorium uh, at the university there. And so we watched the Ed Sullivan show, the complete show, and... It was, it was a really snowy night, uh, but it was open to the community, and there were a lot of older people who were there at the time. And I could see them smiling and laughing at some of the, the comments about from, uh, with Ed Sullivan and his sort of stodgy demeanor uh, <laughs> and some of the other awful acts on the show at the same time. If you've never seen the full Ed Sullivan show, you've got to see what, what comes before and after the Beatles. Uh, they were... I, I won't even say it. It's dreadful. So, I, but but as as one of the guys I met at the conference said, they've got a story. You know, they've got yeah, a story. Yeah. <laughs> they they were always, there. They were there. Uh, <laughs> so that was really fun. We had a great time doing that. And then 
in terms of the guests, uh, I really enjoyed Mark Lewison, and he was was the consummate English gentleman, uh, real soft spoken guy, and he gave a, a talk at lunch that uh, what he did was he took a bunch of photos from his book and talked about what each of those photos meant and how it fit into the Beatles story. And, and there was a lot of people we had never yeah. seen before or heard. And kind of these, he, he kept making the point that the Beatles were really meant to be. There were all these connections that someone knew John who knew Paul and a lot of intertwined connections there and how important Brian Epstein was to the whole thing and yeah. George Martin and how you know we heard the full real story about Pete Best and the real story about George Martin. So all these things that he has just uh, shattered a lot of the Beatle myths. And it made me really want to read the book even more. And I've started it now. Um, and yeah, I've started it too. It is I know. a lengthy piece of work. It is. And it is only the first of three. I know, and he talked and, about um, that. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a gr- <laughs> I would not call it a grind. It's entertaining throughout. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's a long... Uh, you know, maybe at some point we'll have a chance to have both read the entire thing. And, I know. In between all <laughs> the other things that we have to take care of in our regular lives. Right. And uh, t- uh, talk about it here on the podcast. But um, well, uh, So you, you did you have him sign, sign the book? Yeah. 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 So uh, what he did was he talked. He gave this talk while we were uh, finishing up lunch. And then... Uh, there was a question-answer session that was really interesting. We got some news about when his next book is coming out, which is not going to be for a while, fellow Beatle fans. So we have we do have enough time to read this one, I think, probably <laughs> four <laughs> years or so. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's talking about what he's doing with the next book a little bit and just the reaction. He talked about the British version of this book, which is different than the American version. It's much longer. And it's not been published here. Uh, hmm. So there's actually, yeah, it's an unabridged version. So there's a, there's a longer. There is. It's, longer it's even longer. If you we can could believe get, it. It's a little more Britishy. Yeah. It has, has more Britishy <laughs> more stuff. More Britishisms. Yep. Yep. So there is, yeah, you can, although you can't get it in this country. Now it's sold out and people were buying it on amazon.uk and now you can't get it there. So they've it's oh. run out of print right now. So. Holy smokes. Yeah. But. Anyway, so he, yeah, great question answer session. Uh, very. Why did he? Why did he have two versions of the book? Well, he the he had agreed to the publisher to write a certain amount of words, and then he came in way over that amount, mm-hmm. and so he was told to trim it down, and so what the publisher ended up doing, they published the one that we buy because it was for marketing. They thought, well, people aren't going to read a sixteen hundred page book or whatever it would be. So you have to cut it down. And so he made the cut-down version, which is what we have. And then they also decided, oh, this has been popular. Let's sell the other one, too, the unabridged. And that's when it went out. Uh, And someone in the audience said they had it on Kindle, but uh, they stopped selling that, too. So, yeah, it was a pretty interesting uh, story how that came about. But uh, then after, after his talk, there was a discussion or a book signing session and so i stood there with my book as with did everybody else and 
Uh, I'll, we'll post some pictures and video. I have a, a new friend from oh. the conference, Katie, who's a, an English professor down in Texas. She uh, filmed everybody and took pictures of everybody meeting Mark Lewis. And, and so I'm... Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'll tr see if I can post the video of us talking and uh, him signing my book. It was pretty neat. But what I asked him was, uh, I said, what's your background? And how did you get to do this? Are you trained as a historian or an English professor, English major in college? Or, you know, what's your background? He said, no, none of that. He said, I'm just a, you know, a fan and I've just wanted to do this since I was 21. And I've just learned how to do research, which is remarkable to me. Wow. Uh, yeah. How, how thorough and, you know, accomplished these books are. The, uh, one of our, uh, uh, favorite uh, podcast is the Sound Opinions podcast, mm -hmm. and they recently had him on uh, with a very long interview, oh. and he talked about uh, writing the book, and that, uh, you know, not, none of the the two current Beatles Lawrence, <laughs> did not talk to him, uh, yeah. and he was, he ended up being very happy that that didn't happen, because it's a very objective right book and you know it's very like you know does doesn't mince any words tries to get the right accurate story that's uh, i'm glad you brought that up that's one interesting thing that we learned from the question and answer session because someone said that question are you close with ringo and paul and uh, he said no not at all with ringo they barely know each other and then with Paul, he said he was very close to Paul back in the early 90s, I think, late 80s, early 90s, up through Linda's death. And he told a really tantalizing tidbit how at one point Paul had asked him to write his autobiography with him. And so they were going to write it together. And he even signed a contract. Uh, but then, for some reason, Paul lost interest or something, and it, it fell through. Uh, but one of the stipulations was that that uh, Mark Lewison could not write anything else about the Beatles without getting permission, basically, from Paul. And so before he wrote this book, he had to get that contract, which was still active, had to get it null and void. Wow. Uh, because otherwise, you know, it wouldn't work. But he said, like you said, it's better that he had some distance from those two and could tell the story from other perspectives. So, and not have to be worried about what Paul's going to think or Ringo thinks. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was great. And then also the the other one I attended was the uh, Richard Langham, the recording engineer, and he had some interesting stories. He was not a fan of John. He said oh, John, really? John could be very mean in the studio, and could just did, did some mean things uh, that he saw, and just didn't didn't really gel with him. But he liked the others quite a bit. And ah. yeah, it's just fascinating to have the inside story from someone who was there. Yeah. Um, now, some of the other uh, uh, papers or talks, uh, maybe you could talk just about a couple of those that uh, were inter more the more interesting. Yeah, I'm sure they were all very interesting, but they were a couple that stick out in your head. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, there were a couple guys from a prep school, I think a prep school, and they were talking about teaching the Beatles in grade school and high school, sort of things you can bring in. I thought that was an interesting uh, twist. There was a guy who did a paper on the Beatles and the avant-garde and compared them to the 
composer Luciano Berrio, who was a composer, uh, a classical composer of uh, well, famous in the 50s and 60s and 70s, uh, who was pretty interesting too. I liked the sessions on music. The the of course, since I'm a music theorist, there was there was two sessions or two papers on more theoretical things. There was a paper by someone at the University of Chicago on modulating in by whole tone and late Beatles songs, and he t used musical analysis to talk about Penny Lane and Dr. Robert. That was pretty neat. And then uh, the same session, the same girl who was on my session did a talk on vocables and emotional expression in Paul McCartney's songs. So I thought of oh. you, Chris, because that's right up your alley. All the woos and, <laughs> oh, and wow, I would have this. Ow, ow's and yeah. all that stuff. She talked all about that. Exactly. All that kind of stuff was really, really fascinating. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Paul would have said. Any yep. He would have. Uh, yeah. uh, and then finally, the last session. Uh, we, everyone was pretty tired by this point, and I think it maybe would have been better earlier in the conference, but it was on teaching the Beatles, and I actually spoke a lot in that session because I've taught a Beatles class for many years, and so did some of the other people, and so we were just basically sharing ideas on how to teach the Beatles, and uh, I found it interesting that uh, someone someone said, well, I, I don't know, how do you make the Beatles relevant to today's generation? And everyone in the crowd was like, Boo. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, get the, out get out and the moderator said we don't have that problem that's not really a problem i don't think so that was yeah boo uh so those are a couple of the well, i guess i guess if somebody's come you know somebody's like 12 years old and yeah it's only heard Katy perry and you know, yeah what's on the radio it might actually be a problem you know it so. could be but actually that's another thing too One, there was a, a paper about the the beatles and women um sort of gender issues it was called girls play with the beatles the fab four and contemporary female youth and oh. uh she great it was a good paper she talked about uh how a lot of teenage girls make these mashups on youtube and they kind of make their own music videos, uh, telling the story that they want and emphasizing the androgyny of the Beatles and how they were their soft image and uh, they weren't threatening. And so they really kind of exploit that. And it was to make more of a feminine uh, overall look for the Beatles. And that, that was a that was a good paper too. So uh, just lots of different things, something for everybody. And wow. It was really, as I say, usually can't wait to skedaddle from conferences but this one we stayed to the bitter end and had a great group of people hanging out at the end and then hanging out at the comfort suites altoona and uh, had a great uh, great experience yeah. overall so that's that's pretty much the summary of the, the conference and so i say i want to thank publicly ken womack for uh putting on this conference and getting it all together uh, all my fellow presenters, and for to Trent too for yeah. uh, coming up and, and chatting with me. And my only regret is I wish we had a chance to, to get a picture together. Uh, but he was leaving, and I was leaving, and it was just sort of 
two ships passing in the night. But uh, anyway, it's neat. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. But the same night. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, same. what's well, before we go oh, to yeah. that, I just want to say, uh, you know, and, and next time we're out of uh, ideas, <laughs> we'll just go to the list here. Yeah. Beatles oh, yeah. as neo-romantic <laughs> poets. Okay. Let's do another. So, yeah, we've so, got a lot of ideas for shows so here. We have plenty. We're covered on ideas for shows. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, a couple of weeks before uh, were the Grammys, and that was a big night for uh, Paul McCartney particularly mm-hmm. <laughs> and Ringo Starr and the Beatles. They were both there. Uh, the next night they would have a tribute to them, but on Grammy night... Uh, there were a couple little highlights. First of all, Paul McCartney won two Grammys. Yeah, <laughs> he, he won did. for Best Rock Song for Cut Me Some Slack, which he recorded with the remaining members of um, Nirvana. And that was for Best Rock Song. And Best Music Film for Live Kisses. So uh, that was pretty good. And that's funny um, because I don't like either of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, at, during the show, Ringo and Paul played a song together. Ringo would come on it, and they played Queenie Eye. And if you go to YouTube right now, and I'm going to play a little clip here, because <laughs> we want to play music. <laughs> um, but you can see Paul and Ringo rehearsing Queenie Eye. Here's a little clip from that. So uh, Paul and Ringo, you know, they got big, big applause. It was nice to see them together. And um, then the next night, which they recorded that night and uh, filmed it and then uh, uh, showed it to everyone uh, on the 9th, which was the actual anniversary day, um, was uh, the uh, salute, Grammy salute to the Beatles. And there were a lot of... Um, a lot of guest stars, including the aforementioned Katy Perry. Yeah. Uh, including, you know, the man we love to talk about. <laughs> Your favorite. So you much. Mean, uh, one of the Wilburys. One of the Wilburys. Uh, yeah. um, Jeff Lynn, who played a couple songs. There was a, you got a, a heavy dose of, <laughs> never mentioned, but played on it. Almost every song was Peter Frampton. Yeah, Peter Frampton's just standing <laughs> over there, and I'm like, man, somebody's got to mention Peter Frampton tonight, don't they? <laughs> nope, nope. Joe Walsh played a couple couple tunes. One really uh, cool uh, one with um, played Hey Bulldog with um, Dave Grohl, mm. and that was pretty rocking. A, l- a lot of different uh, guests. The show ended with, of course, Paul played a set, a little set. No, Ringo played a little set. Then Paul played a little set. And then they played a couple songs together. The be- the probably most fun sequence was Paul played uh, uh, Sgt. Pepper's 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Lonely Hearts Club Band, and then uh, they went into with Billy here runs on Ringo and sings. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was uh, probably the most uh, fun part of the night. And uh, throughout, uh, what I liked was there were interviews from the Ed Sullivan uh, Theater, which had been filmed previous uh, to the show, uh, which was David Letterman talking to both of them about their memories of the night and they're like oh it seems a little smaller mm-hmm. than it was it's kind of weird and i guess there had been a balcony up there like an additional balcony that isn't in the newer version of the ed sullivan theater and um, talked about the backdrops and stuff like that and they showed some of the footage from the uh ed sullivan night but not not enough for my taste. Yeah. Which showing a little more of that, a little less LL Cool J <laughs> announcing things. Yeah, that's a weird choice. <laughs> a very weird choice. I mean, he was sort of did the same thing for the Grammys. So yeah. I think they were just like, let's just keep the whole thing. These guys are in town, yeah. so let's just keep yeah. it. <laughs> but it was weird. It was strange. LL Cool J does this thing where everything he says, he <laughs> gestures with. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, well, he's pretty good on that show. Though. Oh I, yeah, I like Yellow Cool J. He's all right, but maybe not. Maybe not my favorite announcer. But it was a it was a good show. Maybe not a great show. And I don't I don't know about you, but I never love these tribute no. concerts. Even good ones like the Bob Dylan weird the weird Bob. Dylan yeah, which one. is going to be re released by the way. That's on March fourth. It comes out uh, the. The new, like the 30th anniversary thing is coming out. Yeah, yeah. You can see George well, on there. Yeah, you can yeah. see George uh, <laughs> singing, uh, what, My Back Pages and a yeah. couple. Yeah, a couple tunes there. Well, I'm curious what your, uh, I watched the Grammys too, and what do you think about uh, Paul, or Ringo playing on a Paul solo song? In fact, a very recent solo song. Do you think it was kind of like he was shoehorned in there, like, hey, Ringo, go out and play? Or what do you think about the, should they have played a Beatles song or they knew that was happening the next night? Uh, I thought it was pretty decent. I mean, I thought it was pretty, pretty good idea to not go too crazy. I, I don't know when they, when they did the actual concert the next day, I was a little bit underwhelmed on some of the choices. It seemed like most of Paul, most of Ringo's solo set and most of Paul's solo set. Yeah. Like the highlights. Yeah. Like he went up there and played boys and, you know. Yeah, photograph. Kind of thing. It would have been nice to have them play, you know, something a little wilder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of Yoko dancing. I was going to say that uh, the most entertaining she, thing was looking yeah. in the audience. They kept clipping or showing clips of Yoko and Sean. Uh, yeah, I wanted yeah. to mention. Because Donnie played on one song, not as the lead. I would have liked to have seen Donnie play. George George sing. Harrison's son, Donnie. Yeah, and, yeah, and I would have liked to have seen... Uh, uh, I was really puzzled why Sean Lennon did. Yeah, that was weird. Because he was, he was there. there. Yeah. He's looking great these days. He looks <laughs> just like John, doesn't he? He's dressing and looking just like John in a sort of imagined era yeah. right now. <laughs> uh, and he had a really beautiful model on his <laughs> arm too holy smokes but i know you uh, liked yoko's dancing oh yeah yoko's dancing during the uh, uh the the regular grammys it was subdued but during this uh, uh 
she couldn't help herself towards the end of the uh <laughs> towards the end of the special. She was really like waving the arms around, <laughs> just kinda of course she's in the front row, so yeah. she had a little more room to more. just kinda of swing them arms. Chris is swinging that, his arms that, around that, right uh, now. Yeah. So Yeah, I I don't know, I feel the same way about those tribute shows. They're kind of seems like they're either designed just for marketing or for ratings or something like that. They tend to you get a couple of good performances, and then you have some people who really have no relation whatsoever to the Beatles, and you have no, yeah, like why are they there? Like Katy Perry or somebody? Why is she there? Just because yeah. she's a hot star now? Or uh, I, I yeah. watched a little bit of an interview with uh, Adam Levine or Levine from Maroon Five, and he he seemed like he was pretty genuine. He he talked about how the Beatles were in his house growing up constantly and he loves ticket to ride and i think it was pretty at least the clips i heard were pretty faithful but i, I don't know the, some of those they just seem like weird choices i thought most of the performances were pretty solid but nothing too um um outrageously uh amazing yeah i'd include <laughs> ringo yeah definitely. And, and and paul i i did think that 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 um uh, Sergeant Pepper's thing was really cool to see, and that was that was kind of nice. Um, I, I could have done without the Hey Jude finale again. Anyway, yeah, yeah, you knew it was coming, but still. why not? Why not? It would have been kind of cool had they just gone up there and, <laughs> and played the set that they played during. Oh yeah, like play the original Ed Sullivan show or set. It, yeah, yeah. Wow, why that'd not? be fun. I don't think Paul could hit the high notes anymore. But yeah, that's, uh, that's true. <laughs> uh, so if you had to pick the, let's say, the best two performances and worst two performances from the tribute show, what would you say for best? Oh, this is going to be, okay, Let me, hold on one second. Because I, I, I unfortunately did not see the show yet. I've not seen it, so I don't know. I've seen clips, I've heard clips, but not the actual full performances it's a lot of sitting it's very long it was like two and a half hours wasn't it yeah it was a long uh thing let's see the best two i, worst I did two. not okay worst i did not like imagine dragons <laughs> and their their version of revolution uh-huh um and i did not much care for brad paisley <laughs> just because i don't like brad paisley <laughs> Though I did like that was with Cirque du Soleil, oh, so yeah. Brad Paisley and Pharrell Williams, who Pharrell Williams uh, uh, is is a producer who's worked with a lot of groups and just won a bunch of Grammys with uh, Daft Punk. That was great, yeah. Which and and they, they have great great songs, but Pharrell Williams always wears this hat that makes him look like um, Smokey the Bear or, or an, <laughs> he looks like a human acorn. Because <laughs> this weird hat he wears, uh -huh. um, I would say, and this is uh, uh, taking Ringo and Paul and all that out of it. Yeah, I'd say the best two were uh, probably Dave Grohl and Joe Walsh, uh, Gary Clark Jr. They played my while my guitar gently weeps. It's mm. pretty rocking, or maybe the Hey Bulldog with Dave Grohl. Uh, Jeff Lynn. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're actually uh, praising Jeff Lynn. I really liked Stevie Wonder's "We Can Work It Out." It was pretty cool. Yeah. And and uh, I was watching with my girlfriend, and when Annie Lennox and uh, 
Dave Stewart, uh, which is a, a one-night Eurythmics reunion <laughs> that they had for this thing. They did Fool on the Hill, and she said, you know, Annie Lennox is one of those people, and I, I think uh, uh, Stevie Wonder's one of those people, too, that it doesn't matter whose song it is, it sounds like it's her song. Yeah, so. absolutely. They're timeless, yeah. Yeah, so I really liked Annie Lennox, uh, or Eurythmics, actually, mm. full, flat out Eurythmics. Yeah. Didn't much care for Ed Sheeran in my life, Imagine Dragons, some of the... How about John Mayer? He plays great guitar, but his yeah. stupid face... <laughs> That's what bothers me. So he's he like, was, yeah, like weird frog faces and stuff. But he's got, they had really bad boots. I just noticed the, yeah, he was yeah. wearing like swamper boots or something. Yeah, know. that might have been one of the lowlights. Yeah. Probably that and Imagine Dragons were the two worst. I guess in yeah. Sheeran was fine. Yeah. Katy Perry was okay. Alicia Keys was all right. John yeah. Lennon. Well, yeah, that's. A lot of things going on. Uh, this is a very exciting Beatle year, and yeah. I think we're just seeing the beginning of it now with these specials and with the conference and all the stuff in the month of February. And yeah. you know, just wait for when Hard Day's Nights kind of come out again, or the the anniversary of that, as well as all the other touring things that are happening. So, well, we're going to have a few more uh, sort of special uh, uh, commemorative 50 year anniversary shows coming up. Um, we're, we'll, we'll definitely talk about the albums that were released in 1964, the singles that were released in 1964. We may have a, I, I mean, we haven't talked about this, but the U.S. albums box set came out. Oh, yeah. So we may have a conversation about that because there's a lot of uh, stuff on it that's a little different or weird uh, compared to the English mm-hmm. versions and, and so so you know, and obviously the running orders are all different yeah. And, yeah. and everything. Albums you just can't uh, get um, from the original catalog. Um, so we'll talk. We'll talk about that at some point. Uh, I'm going to do an interview with uh, uh, Brenda Hensler. Brenda Hensler was just a fan back then, but she has. And I went to a Beatles concert with her, or a Paul concert last year with her. So we, we're, we're going to talk about that kind of an odd episode, probably, because <laughs> unless we can figure Feel out a how to record it three ways. So, yeah. uh, um, oh, that's cool. But, but we got a bunch of, bunch of great stuff coming up. And, um, yeah, and we keep, keep the comments coming in. We're getting a lot of comments and having back and forth exchanges with a lot of people out there listening and we certainly enjoy that and enjoy the the dialogue and you, a lot of people are selecting or choosing songs for us that hey check this song out and check out this cover version and yeah keep it up we're all for that let us know too um if you do have show ideas we i mean we've gotten some show ideas from our fans before and and we have not tossed them away we're yeah. uh keeping them in their in the uh, uh pile of you know <laughs> of uh we, our, our own show ideas are uh, we've got quite a few in the, yeah. on the uh in the queue as they say <laughs> but uh um but please uh, if you got a good show idea give us some show ideas if you um yeah. i've i've started to post uh song of the night on the beatles page on our facebook so if you want to go to our Facebook page, I've got a Beatles podcast. Of course, we're uh, I've got a Beatles Beatles podcast on Podbean. Podbean mm-hmm. hosts us, and you can get us on iTunes. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, great! It was a 
fun month, and we still are not done yet. We've got more to come. So, yeah. uh, how are we going to go out with this show here? I, you've, you've, well, this, gonna... this has been a t- total show of, of mystery for us. We haven't uh, told each other anything what's happening, so I don't know what's what we're going so out this, with. This will, if you actually went to uh, see Dave's um, uh, paper in Pennsylvania, uh, you will you would have probably raced back to your hotel to pull up uh, this song. This is what we'll go out with. It's Hong Kong Blues (laughs) from Hoagie Carmichael. It's the story of a very unfortunate color man who got rested down in old Hong Kong. Got 20 years privilege taken away from him when he kicked old Buddha's gong. And now he's bobbing the piano just to raise the price of a ticket to the land of the free. Well, he say his home's in Frisco where they send the rice, but it's really in Tennessee. That's why he say... Need someone to love me. Need somebody.